you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Reading from Revelation 21, verse 1 to 8. The new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this, his herit- this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mariette. Good morning, church. My name is Zach. If I haven't got the pleasure of meeting you yet and get to serve as one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. Uh, as Mike said, we're into our final week of this sermon series. Uh, we are uh, looking this morning, uh, our topic is now and not yet. Uh, we've been talking a lot for the last six weeks about sort of the now, how we live now as the people of God. Uh, if we're uh, knowing truly that we are the branches and we're connected to Christ, our true vine, what are the intentional things that we are thinking through, planning, putting into our life in order to uh, know that we are connected to Jesus and that we are uh, understanding our growth through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, and this morning, my hope and my prayer is that we would uh, see the need for that to continue, for that to strengthen, for that to uh, be emboldened even in us as we think about uh, the fact that we can live now in light of then, in light of what Marriott just read for us. Um, the Sorry, the great thing that we've been uh, walking through these last couple of weeks is uh, our sort of our overarching scripture, which is from John 15. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, I want you to come with me back to John 15, and I want to read us uh, that uh, scripture to, I guess, reorient us to what uh, this series, what uh, God's plans and purposes for us is all about. Uh, Jesus 
uh, is speaking this part to his disciples uh, in the last moments of his life on this earth. This is just a, the night before his arrest and then his, um, his crucifixion and death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. And so uh, these words that Jesus is speaking to his disciples is directly to them knowing that they're about to not have him around anymore and they're going to be thrust smack bang into a hot world of persecution and needing to really take all they've learned in these uh, really sort of smashed together three years of their life with Jesus' disciples uh, and try and figure out how does all of this work now uh, as the church begins uh, in uh, this part of history. And so Jesus, uh, he's speaking from chapter 13 through to chapter 17. As I encouraged you in week one, I want to encourage you in week seven uh, to make sure you are in those chapters as often as you can possibly be. Uh, Go and read the words uh, that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And this is what he said in chapter 15, I'm going to read 1 through to 11. He says that, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides In the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. My prayer today is that as Uh, we go through this, I'll be able to give us all a vision for what this series has been trying to help us come to terms with and understand, that it wouldn't just be the end of another sermon series and now we're just on to the next thing and what we've been talking about for the last seven weeks would just sort of fade into distant memory, uh, but that we would actually take the past six weeks seriously, that we'd take Christ's commands seriously and remain connected to Christ who is our true vine that we would abide in Him, the one from whom flows all that we need for our life and godliness. And that ultimately, we would be a church that would continue growing as a city on a hill, shining the light of Christ as we abide and remain in Christ through grace-driven intentionality, fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, what He says, and who He is making us to be. Now, passage Uh, this morning from Revelation 21. It presents to us this grand image uh, of the hope that we hold to, that there is a day coming when the former things, those things which have been corrupted and destroyed by sin, will pass away and when all things are made new. The Apostle John, uh, the the Apostle who wrote the book of Revelation, he's coming to the conclusion of this vision that God's been showing him while he's uh, been uh, outcast and exiled to the island of Patmos. Uh, And 
He's being shown a vision of the the last things or the end times, how all things here and now will be finalised and how God's newness of life will completely transform everything. In this vision, we get this glorious picture, what Marriott just read for us a moment ago. Um, And just rereading verse 1, he says that, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Firstly, we should notice a couple of things about uh, what's taking place here. The old earth, the old heavens, they're passing away. Um, They're they're going, they're they're on their way out. Um, And this right here that we are living in in now, and even the cosmos we sit in, it will pass away. Uh, You know, I don't know if we're necessarily thinking about this, how literally it is. Like, is this cinema going to be here in that time? Yay or nay? Maybe not that quote. I don't know. Um, But it's not so much us thinking about what's physically going to be here and now, what are we, what are we going to be uh, doing or wearing or what are we going to be surrounded by, but it's what we need to get our hearts oriented to, oriented to this morning and through Scripture is that God is perfecting and glorifying all things. So maybe not that quote. The other thing I want us to notice from that verse 1 is that uh, the sea was no more. Now, that might seem like a trivial thing to be written there, but when you understand what the sea represents throughout Scripture, it's incredibly significant for us today. Um, Right throughout biblical history, the sea is used as a literary device to denote where evil comes from. So a bit earlier in John's vision, he sees a beast rising out of the sea. Also in Daniel's prophetic vision, in Daniel 7, he sees a beast rise from the sea. Again, in the book of Job, the Leviathan beast uh, has its dominion in the sea. And even right back in the creation narratives, uh, the ocean is denoted as chaos. And it talks about the Holy Spirit is hovering over top of that chaos. And we see God bring order to that chaos as he gives the ocean its boundaries, uh, tells it where it's allowed to be and what it's allowed to do, what it's allowed to hold uh, and what it's not allowed to be or do or hold. The sea is a place of chaos and danger and now in Revelation 21, the sea of earthly rebellion and dominion of the enemy is removed. In other words, there is no more place from which rebellion or chaos or trial can rise from. The uh, ESV study Bible uh, helpfully articulates this section really well, better than I could, so I just copy-pasted that bad boy. It says, by comparison to the old order that is coming to an end, the new cosmic order is radically different. A place where righteousness will dwell well, where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and where death shall be no more, where the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and where all that is perishable will be raised and transformed into a glorious new imperishable reality where the redeemed will rejoice in the eternal presence of God and the Lamb. And so church, this morning we're called to fix our eyes on this glorious glorious and imminent moment. And trust that it is fixed. God has circled the date on the cosmic calendar in thick red pen and God is true to his words and his plans. As he says in verse 5 of our text today, that these words are trustworthy and true. So what then does it mean for us to live now 
in light of them. This is what we've been trying to understand throughout this series. It doesn't mean that we are uh, that man in the inner tube. You might remember the image from a few weeks ago, the kayaker, the man in the inner tube, and then the jet ski. It doesn't mean we're the, the man in that inner tube sort of just lazily drifting about, or does it mean that we need to paddle hard in that kayak up the current that's dramatically and violently opposed to our growth in Christ, exerting all of our energy, all in our own strength to try and summon the strength and ability to get anywhere at all. No, it means that we cling. We cling to the work of Christ completed for us. We cling to the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who is making us like Christ. We cling to this great reality that God will bring to completion all that he began in his people and that our grace-driven intentionality is not wasted, but it is all a part of God's grand plan to glorify us on that day. And so in light of this, we have uh, some truths this morning that I want us to uh, come to and be warmed by and challenged by and encouraged by. And these two truths are, one, we will persevere, and two, we can proclaim. Firstly, we will persevere. Our Foundation text, again, from John 15, 1 to 11, uh, makes things clear for us. Namely, you might have noticed in verse 5, it says that unless we are in Christ, unless we're abiding in Him, unless we are united to Jesus, we are unable to do anything, including getting ourselves to the end. If it was up to you and I to ensure that we made it to new creation, we would have given up a long time ago. In fact, Many of us have given up at a whole bunch of different stages through our life. Heck, some of us might have given up yesterday and somehow had the spiritual energy to get out of bed this morning and drag ourselves to church to sit here and hopefully be encouraged and realize the Holy Spirit is working that within us that we would be able to sit here and hear the good news of what Jesus has done for us, be encouraged in that and continue on to fight another day. The Apostle Paul is um, helpful in showing us that it is all due to God's grace, that we are going to make it, that we will persevere until the end uh, and, he, and, and be found as one of those who, as verse 7 tells us, conquers and has this heritage. Firstly, uh, Paul encouraging us, uh, there's a couple of classic verses, a a couple of classic verses that we should memorize and have as like sort of arrows in our quiver or swords in our belt for whenever we need to fight off our our own discouragement or disparagement that rises up inside of us or fight off those words of the enemy that come against us. Uh, Some great verses, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, where Paul says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just, if you're having a crap day, apologies for the word crap, but sometimes we're just having a crap day. If you're the kind of Christian that's just finding yourself struggling in the midst of all the trials, temptations, hardships, sicknesses, uh, the economy going AWOL, the world around us going AWOL, things becoming so much harder around us to even understand what's our place as a Christian in this society. If you're facing the struggles and tensions of families and friends, if you are disappointed by where you're standing in life right now, like, do you feel like you've accomplished 
accomplished anything? Have you ever done anything? The warmth of this verse, knowing that it's not on your shoulders to ensure you get to the end, should be the most warming and encouraging thing that you can hear right now. That he who began a good work, that our heavenly loving Father who sent his one and only Son on our behalf, who began that good work in us by giving us the righteousness of Jesus, by giving us the gift of his Holy Spirit. He's the one who's going to ensure that we make it to that last day. Another incredible and classic verse, Romans 8, 29 to 30, often referred to as the golden chain of salvation. The Apostle Paul makes Uh, the plan and purposes of God through Christ for our sake, for our preservation, very clear. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Hopefully, as I just read that, you've been able to take note of our complete lack of contribution to this golden chain. God foreknew those that would come to him. I think sometimes some of us are a little bit uh, put off by the intensity of the language. Words like foreknew and predestined and conformed, and we struggle with those words because we're like, but what part do I have to play in my own salvation and church, Christian brother, sister, struggling or on top of the mountain having the greatest week you've ever had in your life? Here's the beauty of this truth. You play no part. We participate by clinging We don't participate by partnering or bringing our own goodness or our own something or others to the table. We participate by clinging, knowing that God's the one who has called us, that God's the one who has justified us through the finished work of his son, Jesus. And, and I hope you notice this as well, he has glorified us. It's something that's already been done. Now, that should be mind-boggling because we're all sitting here not glorified. But God has done it. And when God says he will do something, when God says something, his words create the reality that it happens. Just think back to Genesis and God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there was a world. God spoke and there was animals. There was mountains. There was fish in the sea. When God speaks, those things become reality for Those that God has called to himself, those that he has justified through the work of Jesus, those that he has glorified, church, you and I can sit in this incredible knowledge and security that because God has said it, he has done it. And now you and I are just walking the journey of coming to terms with our glorification. It's why we can look back on our past. If you've been a Christian for any longer than an hour, you can look back in some sort of microcosm or even a a macro situation and you can see that the work of God has been bringing you from one place to another. Your concept of reality has begun to uh, be clarified. Your understanding of your sin and your need for Christ's salvation, the work that he's been doing in you continues to grow and grow and you realise that, hey, I'm not the same person I was back then. God's been doing something in me and that's the work of God glorifying us. It's a present activity that is happening in our life because God has spoken it already. You and I are being formed in it. 
I'd encourage you this morning, if these are some of, the, some of these words, some of these concepts, is something that you wrestle with to come to terms with, I would encourage you to wrestle with it. Struggle with it. Be incredibly captivated by the truth and reality that this grace of God is all a work of God and that he will ensure our being made glorified in that last day. I think there's two things that we need to be mindful of when we're in this um, category or the, the doctrine of perseverance thinking about our uh, God being the one who will take us to that great day. God's the one who is glorifying us. I think we can land on uh, two cliffs that we can easily fall off. One being that we can think that our lives don't matter. We don't have to take our lives seriously because if God's going to get me there, then it doesn't matter what I do here and now, God's going to get me there. God's going to get me to heaven. I can go about doing whatever I want here and now. If you're sitting here this morning and that's the thoughts that run through your head, that's the, that's the attitude and motivation of your heart, I would, I would beg you to reconsider your salvation. That might sound harsh, that might sound straight, but I want to encourage you that those that are in Christ don't think about our freedom to sin because Christ is removing that from us. We are captivated by this idea that we are freed from slavery to sin, and we're now being brought into this life, created into this life of honouring and worshipping God. And so, if you're here this morning and that word has hit you and struck you, then I would ask you and beg you to reconsider your salvation, and we'd love to be a part of helping you to come to terms with all that Christ has done for you. We'd love to be a part of helping you to understand uh, that Jesus has paid the price for your sin and that he gifts to us his eternal righteousness and that we can be made new in him, have new hearts, have new minds that chase after all that God is. And also the other cliff we can fall off is, uh, again, thinking that we're doing something thinking that we're contributing to this somehow in a significant and meaningful way, thinking that we're bringing something to the table that unless we brought to the table, God wouldn't be able to glorify us uh, unless we kept bringing it to the table. Uh, the late theologian J.I. Packer, he helpfully tells us about perseverance. He says, when regenerate believers, so those who have been united to Christ, act in character, the character of their new grace-gifted nature... They remain, sorry, they manifest a humble, grateful desire to please the God who saved them and the knowledge that he is pledged to keep them safe forever simply increases this desire. It's this incredible circular thing that I talked about a few weeks back in the Assurance and Confession sermon. God's reminding us and showing us and telling us over and over again that he's the one that will glorify us and make us like Christ in that final day, that he's the one that will make us persevere and get to that final day. The knowledge of that, the warmth of that, the, the greatness of that being sort of spun around and continued to uh, be amplified in our hearts and in our minds is what continues to drive the desire to want to know that and live in God's goodness and grace towards us. And it's this incredible circular thing that 
God keeps on doing for us, the more that we see and understand God's goodness towards us, that he will persevere, preserve us and bring us to that final day, the more that we continue to realise we don't bring anything of use to the table and that we can continue to rest wholly in all that Christ has done. In other words, we perpetually grow in our desire to live in and please God because he perpetually grows in us a knowledge of his holding us, a knowledge of our being held by the Lord of all creation. And this is where the last six weeks come into their proper perspective, all the practices that we've walked through, the building intentionality into our lives to participate in God's work, to cling on to the leading and guiding, conforming work of the Spirit. They all find their place in this reality that we can't earn our way, we can't work our way, but Christian, we are on our way. Because of those whom God foreknew, he justified and he glorified. Christian, it's already done. In a moment, we're going to sing a song called On That Day, uh, and that is our reality, that on that day, we will see him shining brighter than the sun. Because our being made like him, our being raised to glorious life in the new heavens and in the new earth is already accomplished. It means that we are free to live in Christ. It means we are free to explore what the disciplines and practices of building a rule of life can look like, practices including examination and encouragement or assurance and confession, that uh, practices like engagement and withdrawal, delight and renial, work and rest or Sabbath, practices of growing in our reading of God's word, of growing in our coming before our Father in heaven in prayer, of coming to uh, attending church and uh, committing to a gospel community during the week, of taking the Lord's Supper together, of being baptized or witnessing our brothers and sisters in Christ be baptized or profess their faith before the congregation or this continuing practice of learning to love one another through acts of service, of caring for the poor as Mel and Peter helped us see the opportunity for a moment ago of fighting for justice for those with no voice and of holding one another to accountable to patterns of living which do glorify God. All wonderful, beautiful things which we are free to do and free to explore because even if we mess them up, even if we're useless at them, even if we forget, even if we're too tired, even if we're too worn out, too drained from trials and temptations, and maybe if you're anything like me, you easily fall into this trap of despair, the despair of feeling like you're not growing, not maturing, that you're still facing and fighting the same sin that you were not long ago. The beauty of it is that no matter how hard we try to see growth through these disciplines, we simply can't get out of that despairing for our own souls. And so we ask the question, how do we carry on? How do we keep going? We hold on to this great hope that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Paul continues in Romans 8, 31 to 39, making it clear that there is no condemnation for those in Christ, that they will be glorified in Christ on that day. Come with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. 
He says in Romans 8, 31 to 39, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, so who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding or pleading and praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, in other words, nothing, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who are in Christ by grace will be glorified with Christ by grace. And we hold to the hope that God will bring us to that day. And so we live now in light of then as those clinging to Christ. The great mystery and wonder of all of this is that God uses our growing in Him, our being made more like Jesus to shine as a bright light to the many around us, all those who are in darkness. Which leads us to second point, we can proclaim. Now, not only would it be uh, to ignore the warning in Revelation chapter 22 uh, of tampering with the words of God in this prophecy, but it would also be probably the most unloving thing I could do this morning to simply ignore the contrast of verses 7 and 8 in uh, Revelation 21. Uh, These verses again, Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8, they say, the one who conquers will have this heritage. What heritage? The heritage of verse 6, that those who are in Christ will drink from the spring of water of life, not Indiana Jones style, but true living water, the water of Christ's eternal life gifted to us. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is a a beautiful and glorious image of us as God's children dwelling in eternity with him. Then compare that to verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, if we were the type to be the more intense type of church, maybe we'd try and do a survey right now. I'd start by asking, who here is cowardly? And maybe some cowardly arms would maybe raise. Who here is faithless? Again, maybe someone's brave enough to own their faithlessness. Who here is detestable? Maybe no hands go up because we don't know what that word means, so we just we get away with that one. Who here is a murderer? Maybe again, no hands go up unless we have a really intrinsic knowledge of Jesus' words in the Beatitudes. Who here is sexually immoral? Maybe some hands on the inside of us might be raised. 
we're still very nervous to raise them in public. Who here is a sorcerer? Maybe only a few Harry Potter wannabes. Who here is an idolater? Again, maybe a few extra hands. But still, by this stage, I would suspect that only a few very, very brave and honest hands would be raised in this room. But when I would ask, who here is a liar? Unless every single one of us raised our hands, we automatically fall into that category of being a liar, and now we're all stuffed. This isn't a list that we are used to examine ourselves against to see if that we're are we in uh, category seven as those who have conquered, uh, or are we in those category eight? That isn't the point of this list, but it is a diagnosis of those outside of God's salvation and an articulation of the reality they will face. All those outside of God's saving grace will face this eventuality. Uh, universalism, the false teaching that God will finally allow everyone into heaven, while often coming from a place of uh, wanting to love everyone, actually distorts the truth and reality of God's love and God's sovereignty. And church, if you're sitting here this morning as a Christian, our hearts should be broken by the truth that many will face, this eternal punishment through separation from the goodness of God, because they did not turn from their sin and trust in Christ's work. But we should also be encouraged and warmed by the reality that God's word tells us that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, the apostle is helping us to understand this great mystery we have, uh, sorry, this great ministry that we have in Romans 10. If you want to come back to Romans with me. Romans 10, 11 to 15, he presents a, a wonderful picture, the ministry that you and I, as God's people, are called to, one that tells people of God's salvation. He says in 10, verse 11 through to 15, he says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather, though their trespass... Sorry, I'm reading chapter 11, that's really silly. That's why you should use more highlighters. Sorry, chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are, we, how are they to hear unless someone is preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul is quoting the prophet Isaiah in that last line uh, and is a reference back to the people of Israel far from God, in exile, suffering under oppression and they're being told the good news of God's peace coming through the anointed Messiah who will rescue his people. And so we, those who are of verse 7, the ones that conquer through our being united in Christ, those who will be graciously brought to enjoy eternity with God because of the completed work of Christ. We have this ministry of proclaiming 
proclaiming the good news. Paul says a few verses later in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this word of Christ is that even while we were God's enemies, every single human being, even while all of us were still God's enemies, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we could not live this life of total obedience to God's law and trust in His goodness. And He also died on the cross in our place. He died the death that we deserve to die for our sins. And then Jesus raised again to life on the third day, victorious over sin and death. And Jesus has ascended into heaven and is praying for us. And Jesus grants to you and I right standing with the Father. He gifts us his Holy Spirit who is conforming us to the image of Christ and securing in us the promise that we will be with Christ for eternity in newness of life in new creation. This is the glorious message that we know and we tell, that we proclaim to our friends and family, that we encourage people to read from the Scriptures and to understand for themselves. It's the Word of Christ that maybe we could be challenged this morning to think about how are we proclaiming that Word of Christ to our friends and family. Again, two ways that we do this primarily. Hopefully this series, these last six weeks of us thinking intentionally about how do we live our lives remaining connected to Christ, helps us to understand that as we are living in a way that honours and glorifies Jesus, that helps us remain connected to the truth and uh, the vitality of who Jesus is, that our lives change. And in our lives changing, people around us see our lives changing and our honouring of God and our worshipping of Him. You know, for some of us in this room, it's crazy to our friends and family that we are here this morning as opposed to anywhere else in Brisbane. It's crazy that there are parents in our church who have decided that their son is not going to be playing the same code of football next year because that's on a Sunday, so they're changing their son's code of football uh, so that he can keep playing something on a Saturday. It means their, their family keeps coming to church on a Sunday to all the other parents in that current football code. That's crazy. It's crazy that most of us go out on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and we get together with a bunch of other Christians in a lounge room or get around a table, we eat food together, then we open up this book that was written thousands of years ago by people we have no idea who they are anymore and we read from it and have our lives transformed by the truth that comes from it, that we pray with one another, that we talk about the stuff that we're wrestling with with one another. It's crazy to our friends and family that you would choose to uh, leave a high-paying job and go and join a university ministry training course where you get paid next to nothing uh, to get around a whole bunch of university students who are frustrating on good days, sorry Sam, uh, and um, get in their corner and teach them the Word of God and encourage them uh, to grow in their knowledge of Jesus and reaching their friends and family with the goodness and grace of God. It is crazy to our friends and family that we make these choices. It's crazy to 
to our friends and family that you come here and Mike can stand up and say, hey, if this is your church, would you consider giving money to it in order to fuel the mission of the gospel? And so most of you all have gone home and used your banking direct debit system to set up and you're giving a certain portion of your income every week or every month or every year, however you've got that set up. And if our friends and family saw our bank statements, they'd be like, that is insane that you would give your money to an institution that has so much history of abuse and violence and wrongs against people and yet we keep doing it because we know what God is working in us, what it's working towards of fueling the mission of proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the world all around us. We keep doing it. The church be encouraged that it's the least crazy thing you could do as a son or daughter of God. It's the best thing that you can do. Keep doing it. Keep growing in it. Keep being intentional with it. And one of the other things, uh, that was all off notes, by the way, hence uh, coming back to my notes now. Um, One of the other things that I did think of that would be great to just start warming the temperature of in our congregation is uh, this activity called Word One-to-One. Uh, We've got a few people in our church who are currently doing it, uh, and it's a great opportunity. What you do is you you grab a book, which uh, the book of John, in a uh, not-looking Bible Bible, and you sit down with people and you read the Word of God together, and it forms questions, and you help people understand what's going on in it. Now, there's a few ways you can do this. You can do it through the actual book. Uh, There's now an app that you can do it on, and you can even do it on a desktop version and do a Zoom thing, which I know one man in our church is hoping to start that up with a friend of his over in London and work through uh, the book of John together with him. This is just a great way of proclaiming the Word of God to our friends and family in a very easy, it's not having to grab the world's biggest ESV Bible that you've got and sit down in a cafe with that. It just looks like a nice little sort of casual paperback uh, and as you're sitting there reading it, the people are hearing, they're ingesting the very words of Christ And the Holy Spirit, through that work, promises that he will do a wonder in them. God will do what he plans and wills to do in his people. Um, If you're keen to know any more about uh, this this process of word one-to-one, I'd encourage you, come and talk to me, come and talk to Mike. Uh, We can connect you uh, with the resources or even with some people that are currently doing it to help them. So as we remain connected to Christ, the true vine And bear fruit, as Jesus says in John 15. The fruit of bringing others to taste and see that the Lord is good. It reminds us that we do not have a faith that is primarily personal or private. It is not a faith about our growth or our being made better versions of ourselves. ourselves. It is a, a faith that brings glory to the Father that loves our brothers and sisters in Christ, that grows only within the context of our faith community for the purposes of showing the goodness and faithfulness of our God to the world around us. As we continue to grow in grace-driven intentionality, as we keep learning from God's Word, growing in our knowledge of Jesus, as we keep gathering and growing in community, looking to love and serve one another, as we have been by Jesus, as we keep shining the light of Christ's goodness and grace through proclaiming the good news with our words and with our lives, we keep our eyes fixed on that glorious day that is arriving. The day which holds us in the hope of all that Christ has won for his people. 
And so to finish this morning, as the band comes, I, I want to read some closing words from the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As he speaks to the hope of our resurrection and the significance of realising that God will bring us to glorification. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through to 58, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you're the one that promises to get us to that great and glorious day when we will be with you, when you will dwell with us, where there will no longer be any pain or suffering, no more tears or death, but only joy as we relish in eternity of being with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that that knowledge of that truth is what grants us to persevere through the trials and hardships of this life and also fuels our passion and desire to see our friends and family come to trust in Jesus and not be those who are caught in the reality of verse 8, but are those who are caught in that beautiful truth and reality of verse 7. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in our knowledge of you, grow in our intentionality of clinging to the work that you are doing in our lives, that so many more of our brothers and sisters, of our family and friends all around us would come face to face with the beauty and wonder of the incredible saving work that you have done through your son, Jesus. We pray this all for your glory, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.